Welcome in Wednesday. Happy hour, Louis Rabot hanging out with you uh, today. Ron Flatter joining us from Horse Racing Nation and his back porch. Ron, how are you? I'm trying to make the ping with my wine glass. Adam, <laughs> boy, somebody's got to do the work around here. All right, man. Well, uh, you and I uh, are doing um, two things this year uh, instead of just one that we usually have in common. Usually the one thing is that we are both in the podcasting realm about horse racing. And the second one is, is that for the first time, I'm voting on the Eclipse Awards. And uh, so I thought I would have you in. You have voted all 52 years of the Eclipse Awards. So I yeah. felt like your experience uh, would be very helpful in this conversation. Yeah. Actually, people... how long have you had a, an Eclipse a vote? What was your first? Ooh, um, I'm trying to remember now. I was I had to fight. And to by the way, this vote. might sound like I'm trying to be mean to Ron. I'm not. I'm oh, actually just right. <laughs> I think I think it's probably I, I I was going to guess 19 years. Oh no. All right. So I moved back here from Australia in 2007. Seven. Okay. So that's 15 years. And okay. then I try I was doing a column and racing coverage for the radio station website from Australia and had done that for oh. about 15 years total. Oh. And I used that as my lever to try to get in. But this was when it was still the National Association of Turf Writers, yeah. no broadcasters. And right. I was looked upon as a broadcaster more than a turf writer. And they said, no, sorry, you can't join our club. And I said, well, screw you. I'll build my, build my own clubhouse. And by the time I finally ended my snit and they decided to loosen the rules, I think it was around 2011 or 2012. So maybe 10 years, something like that. That's okay. how long I've been voting. That's a very long-winded answer. That took nearly the 52 years you were describing earlier. <laughs> I um no, it's interesting because I'll be very honest. You know, Mike and I applied uh, this fall mm -hmm. to join the NTWAB, and what was interesting is we get to Breeders' Cup, and of course, you know, that's when you find out is is that week. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised how many people who are really writers, and that's what they do, guys like Marty McGee and others that are really on the writing side kind of sought us out and said, Hey, you know, we're really glad you got in. We really, you know, we threw our support behind you when it came up. And, um, and so I, there's obviously been some kind of shift culturally and or mentally in that group since you first applied as a broadcaster. Well, obviously. yeah, well there has, there has to be, and I've become more of a writer than a broadcaster. I don't do yeah. any broad, I don't do any broadcasting now. Right. I do podcasts. I, and so I know that's a blurry line these days because broadcasting is dying and podcasting is, is the upward trending vehicle as it were. Sure. But I do a lot more writing now. And I've been writing, gosh, since, you know, since we were still dipping feathers in inkwells <laughs> going back, you know, I mean, I've started writing in school papers in the sixties. Mm. If you want to go back that far, but at least professionally in some sense since the seventies, and I've always fancied myself in that realm but to, you know, finally wind my way back on this, uh, this labyrinthine road to your initial question about the changing culture, I think part of that is the fact that the number of writers is dwindling. The number of yeah. serious surf writers is dwindling, largely because the places to write are dwindling, at least the traditional places. There are plenty of new media places to write, but then that's really where the rubber meets the road in trying to separate the serious turf journalists even and in that sense i think tradition does hold sway versus those who are just you know throwing on a blog every now and again sitting yeah, at right. home watching you know watching fan duel tv and, and saying they're a racing expert 
I mean, there's there's plenty of those. If, if that were the case, every every horse player would be in the. Uh, <laughs> and, and I and I don't discount the idea, and I'd even raise this question. I think turf. Uh, I think horse players should have some sort of a voice in all this. I think. Uh, I think certain in, prof- in the professional setting, I think certain owners and trainers and jockeys ought to have some sort of voice. Mm. I get that there are going to be political things. I, I talked to one trainer about this at length once, and even he admitted that the problem if you bring trainers into it is there are politics. And he says, you think there are politics in what realm you're in? Oh, right. goodness. The, the, the enemies lists in, in the horse, uh, among horsemen is thick with all of them. It, 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 I have said before that this is a very catty industry. And uh, so I think in some ways the culture changes, Louie, and in some ways it does not. Was this a good year or a bad year for horse racing? Excellent year. Excellent year. Uh, Flightline was Flightline was like that tease. (laughs) Was like that that tease. You know, it's like, oh, I just I want to see more. I want to say, oh, show me a little more. Show me a little more. Oh, that's all I get. That's all I get. And when you finally had that, the joy of being able to see him, then it was a requited tease. You had. I mean, what better story would there have been on the track than what happened at the Kentucky Derby and all the things that had to fall into place for Rich Strike to win the race, let alone get into the race. And then, of course, uh, hats off to NBC for doing such a great job with the Cody's Wish feature on Breeders' Cup Day. I didn't get to see it until later that night or the following day because I was at the Breeders' Cup and we don't tend to watch the TV while there. We're trying to craft our own angles but once the word started to get around what had happened what nbc had done to set that up it reminded me of like the days of watching the olympics 50 years ago and it was all about those up close and personal stories on tv and i thought nbc hit that one out of the park so when you look at those three and those are the three finalists of course for the vox populi award that uh, the cody's wish story won i i just having those three were great. How great was the Breeders' Cup distaff as a yeah, race? Oh my God! Come down to a Malafat, Blue Stripe, yeah. and, and Clarier. I mean, how great was that race? We've had these stories over and over and over again this year, and uh, I, I, those are the highlights. Those are certainly the highlights. And that, that's just the treetops. I mean, if we start to dig in, inevitably, when you get into something like that, you have to open the scrapbook and go, "Oh yeah, that's right. That right. also happened." So this was a yeah. great year. I also think it was a great year for guys like us who talk about it because not everything was resolved. Flightline no. didn't, didn't run a bunch of times, right? Mm-hmm. So people that wanted to object to how he was winning, the manner in which they were running him, could have that objection. Rich Strike didn't come back and get that graded stakes win. He mm-hmm. almost did, but he didn't. So if you were against him as, as a quality Colt, you still had that argument, and he's going to have to go show it as a four-year-old. Um, I think stuff like that, where we didn't necessarily get the answers, made this part of the, our job just a oh. little bit better. And so, and that, you know, that's just it, the on-track stuff too. I mean, take a look at Heisa, there, which became right? the great kid. It became our favorite pinata during the second half of the year. And who knows? I mean, look, the language has been rewritten. It's going to be signed into law by Biden, and then we're going to see how the courts deal with it. And who knows if it gets past January tenth? So, you know, if you're listening on January 11th, you know how wise we were to bring this up. But uh, I think stuff like that, 
uh, Baffert still in the news for off the track reasons. I think people can say, oh, that's bad for the sport. That's bad for the sport. But what you just said for guys like us who have, who want to have, have stuff to talk about, have another log to throw on the fire. We had plenty, both good and what others would consider bad. Yeah. The, like the Taba thing's interesting, you know, and, and uh, the horse racing Twitter argument du jour is the three-year-old dirt oh. male. And, and I, I've been, or the three-year-old male, I should say champion, excuse me, not dirt male, but uh, male champion. And it, it is fun to watch people whose biases you know in the real world yeah. enter the racetrack, right? And so the people who don't like Bob Baffert, suddenly Taba's wins aren't very impressive, and the Pennsylvania Derby isn't a great one. Um, the, uh, um, or, or Messier was a was a rabbit, and, and that's all it was. And, you know, it's, it's not a real grade one win out of the Malibu. Or people with their political persuasions not liking, deciding not to like Eric Reed, and therefore they're going to downplay Rich Strike yep. and, and the, the good, frankly, the good run. That, you know, if he, um, and you'll have to help me not the Clark the race before. Um, oh, the Lucas before. The Lucas, Lucas yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if Leon, if Leon yeah. just, looks, just looks straight ahead, he wins the race? May, well, maybe. Maybe. I'm not entirely convinced of that, but I think I probably. Yeah, possibly at least, right? I mean, and so, like, he's oh, right yeah. there. And I mean, so it's, and then the people who went after Leon in that race are the similar ones. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, so it's, it was so interesting to watch people's personal opinions affect how they, how they rooted for horses. Louie, I'll tell you this. Like I've told this somewhere else. I don't think it was on my podcast. I can't remember where I mentioned it. I think it was, I think it was with Mike Willman on his radio show out in LA, uh, thoroughbred LA. I, if rich strike had won, the Clark. If he had won the Clark, I was going to recuse myself from voting for the three-year-old male because I have become close with the connections of Rich Strike uh, for for reasons that had nothing to do with horse racing. By the way, we just we hit it off, and we don't we are not eye to eye politically either. It's right. just, we, I right. found Eric Reed to be just a good guy and became a friend in true and. Uh, Rick Dawson has been uh, has been a, a very much a mensch in terms of dealing with him, and, and we really hit it off. And I was afraid that, and I admitted that I've I've always, I've been very public about where my friendships are. Uh, I know others have told me, says you know, you really got to keep those a secret and keep them separate. And I'm like, no, I want to be open about it. Uh, you know, Baffert's a friend, and Eric Reed's a friend. So I guess I got you know I got a couple guys who can stir it up a little bit with who are who are among my friends, but. On that same token, I wrote a piece in at Horse Racing Nation on Wednesday, which was an analytical view of the three-year-old male division, breaking down quality of the grade one wins and quality losses. And right. I said, Taba, look, there were no other grade one winners either before the race or since in the Santa Anita Derby or in the Malibu. There were no other grade one winners in those races. And the graded stakes winners he beat in those races were the same pair who did nothing better than a grade two during the course of the year. And so I said, look, Taba, to me, the only grade one race you could even say could be legitimately so and measure up in that regard was the Pennsylvania Derby. Yes. Which was decent. Look, I mean, it, it yep. was he beat he beat three grade one winners. Uh, he are he beat. Yeah, I think three grade one winners in that race. Right. Total of six grade one wins. But uh, it, when you look at it. I just thought, no, I can't, I can't accept the Tabas even in that mix. I don't even put him in the top three. And so I tossed him and right away, of course, somebody in the comments section and fair game, you know, said that, uh, you know, uh, 
for all of my, uh, you know, slurping of Bob Baffert in the perception of this one reader, and not the only reader, I'm sure, said, look at that. He might be coming around. So I, <laughs> I, think, I, can, I think I can put these things aside when I need to. But yeah. I also think, I think, I think you're right. People need to be open about it. I saw Bill Finley yeah. from Daily News wrote a piece on why he is voting for Taba. And I don't know where his allegiances are, if any. I think he's a pro who doesn't let those who doesn't wear those things on his sleeve and tends to not adopt them and let them cloud his vision. But he wrote a piece on that. And I know, uh, you know, uh, Tom Padula is writing a piece tomorrow at Horse Racing Nation on why it oh, good. has to be epicenter. It has to be epicenter. I made awesome. the argument, you know, Ed DeRosa, my colleague, is going to vote for modern games. I made an argument on behalf of modern games as well as the uh, as well as epicenter and as well as Cyberknife in the piece that I wrote today. So, you know, let the analytics speak for how they may and and i think for me it boils down to two it boils down to epicenter and modern games and i haven't chosen yet how's that for a how's that for sitting on the fence here little tease i like that um if someone told you look epicenter ran you know eight races all in north america this year modern games ran two what would you say to them and is there seven, i think it's seven to two but but um but uh that here's the problem with that okay so should Love's Only You have gotten the Eclipse Award last year as the best right. uh, female turf horse? Ran exactly one race in America. Goldakova won two Eclipse Awards, uh, running four races in America over a four-year period. So there's precedent there. I'm not saying that we should throw in an extra scoop of wrong to whip up a batch of right if you don't think that was the thing to do. But I'm saying that once a horse races in the United States or Canada or Puerto Rico, once a horse races on one of those bodies of land, then they are eligible to be considered for the eclipse. And it's up to us to decide whether their European records, Japan records should count. And it's, if you do go down that road, it's pretty compelling for modern games. 30 and 4 against graded stakes winners, 14 and 1 against older graded stakes winners and the one the one loss was to Baid, who's yes. going to be mentioned in the same <laughs> breath as flight line as a generational yes. horse so yep. that's a pretty gaudy record by less than two lengths by the way with Baid, like he was actually right there uh, uh yeah well i think it was uh, until about the last hundred yards but but i so it's there's there's that and that's what that's what i'm wrestling with right now he had two grade one wins in north america the woodbine mile okay cheryl spite was in that race and also won a grade one but other than that that field wasn't all that flash but the breeders cup mile and i would say i would tell you this modern games best race i think was a loss and it wasn't the breeders cup mile i think it was the pre to jockey club at chantilly Mile and five sixteenths, which is a lot out of his one mile comfort zone. Soft turf, which is way out of his comfort zone. Still finished third mm-hmm. and went two and one against grade one winners in that race. He lost only to Videni. Videni oh, yeah, would yeah. go on to win the win the Coral Eclipse stakes and finish second in the arc. So if you want to start to color with resumes. The horses that modern games faced during the course of 2022, I don't know that any candidate for any award right now in the United States 
had a better resume of horses and rivals that he had to face than modern games. The question again, though, comes back to what you said. Seven starts in North America for Epicenter, two in North America for modern games. And this is the Eclipse Award for the best North American horse in these divisions. So how do you weigh that? That's the thing. That's the thing I think you have to weigh. And I think how the vote turns out will say emphatically how people feel about that. And there's also the whole turf versus dirt thing. And I know that's, yeah. a, that's a whole nother thing altogether. Yeah. I, I will say um, I have not decided on second and third in the division, but I will be voting modern games in first place. You will. Okay. okay. Yeah. So let me, and let me make the case for epicenter while I'm throwing numbers around. No, sure. Okay. So he only won the one grade one race. All right. But he beat five grade one winners in that race in the Travers. It was a it was a big boy Travers this year. That's correct. It was a big yes. boy Travers, and it's and I I've heard the argument that well if uh, uh, could it have been better? Shouldn't Taba have been there? Well, Taba couldn't have been there without being transferred to another trainer. That correct. was the problem with that. But okay, be that as it may, if you look at Epicenter's year, he went fifteen and two against grade one winners this year and. 28 and three against great stakes winners. And I don't mean winners coming into their races. I mean, let's say you count, uh, pick, you know, pick, uh, let's say, let's, let's say epicenter, any horse facing epicenter in the Kentucky Derby or Preakness. I count epicenter as a grade one winner, even though his grade one win came was after the Derby races. I'm just counting yeah. about the body of the year. If you look at the body of the year, epicenter beat, was 15 and two against grade one winners and 28 and three against graded stakes winners. And the two losses to grade one winners were rich strike and early voting in the two classics and only by a collective two lengths. So if not for two fifths of a second, we aren't even having much of a discussion here. Are we? That's probably right. I, I think you can see where I'm leaning, but, <laughs> but, Oh, it's when I start to look at these numbers and I start to look, you know, modern games, you know, only lost to an older horse among greatest stakes winners was Bayeed. I look at Epicenter. The only losses against grade one winners were to longer shots, longest shot and a longer shot in the Derby and the Preakness. Oh, I'm glad I have until Tuesday to turn in the ballot. <laughs> it's a fun, it's a fun class. And I, I want to point out to people too, like Cyberknife is in this group, man, multiple oh, yeah. grade one winner. He's not going to win um, the category. And, and frankly, he did it at different tracks. I mean, Epicenter won at Fairgrounds and won at Saratoga, nowhere else. And he, you know, some of these yeah. guys moved around and won at different places. I'm not. I'm not trying to knock him. I'm just saying, like, you know, with, with Cyberknife winning at Fairgrounds, winning at Oakland Park in the Arkansas Derby, obviously wins at Churchill Downs in the Matt Win, comes back, wins the Haskell, and and frankly, it, that Haskell field, oh, as three, as good a field as we had, right? I mean, like, you know, three, and, three other three other Grade One winners. In the, the, that won a total of six grade one races and he beat Taba. And, uh, and uh, so, okay, you look at it in, in that race and okay. So that, that is clearly his best race of the year. The problem with the Arkansas Derby in terms of grading his grade yeah, ones, right. Is that the only other grade one winner in that race was secret oath, a Philly. Right. Uh, and, and uh, so, and not even the best Philly, in her division, I don't think. Uh, so I think it was Andy Serling on Twitter who made the point the other day, you know, talking about this division. And it, he said, some, someone said something like, you know, are there 
too many graded stakes. And he said, I don't, he, he didn't think it was that it was through too many grade ones. Yeah. And that, and that something like the Arkansas Derby, the Santa Anita Derby leading into the, into the Derby, the Kentucky Derby. Those should be great news. Yeah. I, I, I think the problem is, and that's why we went through and graded the grade ones in the piece right. I wrote yes. uh, on Wednesday at Horse Racing Nation, that we graded them. And we actually broke it down. You can see on the charts how many graded stakes winners that each of the horses in those fields had won and how many they beat. And it's, you know, it's, it really was, I borrowed from college sports. I went to strength of schedule and I wanted to grade strength of schedules. And I think that's something that just, you know, you, we blindly throw grade one around. And if anybody wants to tell me that the, the grade one, uh, oh, let's say the Travers. You want to tell me the grade one Travers is as good a race as the grade one Malibu? Honestly, really? You want to tell me that? No, I'm not. I don't blindly look at it in a contentious division. I will say in divisions that are not so contentious, I will. Okay, mm. I will hang my hat on that. But as I said today, I think with Taba, two of those grade ones are suspect, but it'll all sound nice on those commercials when he's a stallion and say, you know, Taba, <laughs> three-time grade one winner in 2022. You know, and that'll sound nice. It'll sound nice and God bless him. And that's why these races are graded as such because ultimately they're looking for stallion value. So let's be, you know, the answer to all your questions is money, right? Are those three horses your top three and you're just deciding on an order between and I'm yeah, going I'm alphabetically yeah. epicenter, modern games and Taba? Uh, no, 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 oh, no, no, Taba's, no, Taba's four for me. I'm in, in order, okay. it's the, I have the exact box of Epicenter Modern <laughs> Games, and then I go Cyberknife, okay. Taba, yeah. Taba, and then Jack Christopher. Jack Christopher yeah. Had two, had two grade one wins, but the best, yep. ava- the best ability is availability, right? He only raced four times this year. I actually think he is deservedly in the mix for a sprinter, for a sprinter eclipse, but, uh, if you, you know, his one two-turn race was the fly in the ointment. And he didn't race in the Triple Crown. He didn't race in the Breeders' Cup. I just, but you got, you know, we consider him because he had two grade one wins. And, I, and the other sentence I often see, by the way, is I see that Otaba is the only, the only horse among three-year-old males with three grade one wins. Well, you got to put an asterisk on that. Mm-hmm. In t- for 2022, Modern Games had two grade ones. And a group one, which in the in the France Guineas, uh, so you know right. they decided to pull on, and that's a Grade One, a Group One race. The problem, this is, I will give you the the problem with the Modern Games resume, is that the horses who were in his early three year old races, the early classics in which he raced, uh, for the most part, the where he won, those horses didn't come back to win Jack. After that, right. I recognize the three-year-olds are sent against older horses sooner in Europe than they are here in North America. It pretty much starts at, at the beginning of summer, where we often wait till as late as mid-fall. I get that. But at some point, you got to show up. Now, in the Prix de Jockey Club, which was a three-year-old race, yeah, mm-hmm. the horses came out of there. They did very, very well. But the other races, the, the Guineas uh, and the one in which he finished fifth, uh yeah you got to look at those and go all right so uh, there's that and that's the other thing let's not forget that modern games did finish fifth in a race this year Mm. yeah he did miss the board you're right yeah yeah so 
an interesting so group. It's a shame oh. that my guy White Barrio won't win it, but it is what it is. All right. So um, you know, it's funny if White Barrio had <laughs> if White Barrio had I won know. the Clark, he would have had two. He would have had two grade ones for the Cigar Mile. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. No, cigar, I mean, pardon me, Cigar Mile. I, Thank you. Yeah, I I didn't dislike him in that. I thought it was actually a smart place to put him. He just you know, I got no, essentially got nosed out. But um, I agree. Yeah. How, how, how's he gonna do in the Pegasus? Right. So you know, <laughs> that's it's Sappy back in Florida. Sappy in Florida. Um, yeah. Good All right, on the on the Philly side on the three year olds. Oh yeah. Is it is it Nest and everybody else? Yep. Okay. <laughs> yep. How much credit and- does Spenderella get in your mind? Grade one, grade two, a grade three, and a um a grade one second. I looked at her um I was wrestling with that between her and Echo Zulu for the third spot. Okay. Uh the problem Who's is Who's in your second devil? spot then? My second spot is Moira. I took Moira, who won wow. who Awesome. Uh, the uh, the Canadian. I mean, you're looking at restricted pl- uh, races, the the Woodbine Oaks and the Queen's Plate, but those are yep. every bit important races. Million dollar race. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then you know, only missed a neck beating Regier in the EP Taylor, uh, and then just was up against it in the uh, up against it in the uh, Breeders' Cup. But uh, and I think that was too quick a turnaround. That was. Uh, and so, and by the way, I, when I go back to the EP Taylor, I get that, you know, she finished second and was, you know, for a, a bumpy ride at the end, got disqualified and uh, put down to eight. So I should say crossed second in the EP Taylor, but right. Moira, that was every bit an important victory in the last ever running of the queen's plate because everything from here on in for the next three generations, of course, is the King's plate. And, uh, so it'll always be the queen's plate to me. Well, because we're old and we, we, <laughs> we go back through all of QE2's life. Yeah. Echo Zulu for me, I thought in, in the, when you look at uh, the, the losses, those were quality losses. Mm. I, I look at the loss in the Kentucky Oaks on a wettish track, uh, only missing by three lengths, finishing fourth. And really weakened on a on a tiring track. That was just a tough track to get over, and against some very hot fractions. I thought she showed very well uh, going, you know, trying to hunt the pace against forty six and two, one eleven and two. Uh, you know, comes back, wins the Dogwood on a course that was really not favoring speed at Churchill in mm-hmm. the September meet. And then lost a good night, Olive, uh, who, you know, in the uh, Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. Uh, good night, Olive. I mean, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about good night, Olive at some point later here. But, but yep. I mean, so I go, I went there. Spenderella, I looked long and hard at. I, I was between her and Echo Zulu for third and fourth for me. I mean, you're looking at about a, at a, a horse who was four for five. My problem there and where I finally decide, okay, where does – where do we separate the women from the girls is that I don't think the races, her earlier races in the year were that, were that good. And that the fields were that, were that good. Uh, so from that standpoint, that's why I made the, made that distinction. And I think echo Zulu, uh, maybe there's the prejudice of, of earlier impressions, but I think echo Zulu certainly uh, has shown that she is uh, able to to stand up against tough competition. I know the Kentucky Oaks, uh, you know, okay, she should have maybe say she should have done better there. If she had, then I don't think there's any question she's in the top three. Right. But my goodness, what a year Nest had. And I know the 
the distaff was a disappointment. But then again, I mean, she was three facing these older horses and uh, still only missed by three and a quarter lengths. So I was going to say fourth uh, in that race is no shame this year. No question. And by the way, and neither is second against the boys in the Belmont. Okay. Right. So, yep, you know, that's, that's right. Easy, easy call there to make Ness your champion three-year-old filly. My darn it, I wish they could have run the rest of the year horses in this division and it's Monterea. I loved her in the spring. Um, loved her, loved her. And of course, the, the I'm sure this happens to you. Uh, I watched her in the Eight Bells on Oaks Day. Yeah. Fell in love, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that horse is one of the acorns. She goes, uh, of course, a big scratch oh, in the oh, acorn, way, but she wins the acorn. And, yeah, but don't don't look too far past. And I get it. You know, I, I know that there was that the goofy vet scratch or whatever the hell happened at the yeah. gate there. But, but uh, was that Clarier, right? So, uh, uh, so, or was it? No, who was it? Oh, no, no. Was, um, um, no. Uh, was it that society? I can't remember, but there was the oh, gate man. scratch. I get that. So she goes off odds on, but she missed the start. Yes, correct. She missed oh, the big start time. and yeah. still ran away with it. I, and, and you know, you had a next out winner finishing second in that race and then uh, finished a very game third in the test. So, yeah, Monterea, uh, again, though, you, you come back to the best ability is availability. And then you, it, correct, uh, yes. at that point, I think. Yeah, I think that's a, there. There is that recency bias that comes along with the, the later races in the year, but there also is the fact that those are very salty races just on their merits. So to have her miss those, I think was a big was a big strike against. But I wouldn't be surprised to see her getting votes. Older dirt male. I, oh, I think. Gee, I, wonder, gee, I, I think. Yeah. I think, I, I think not only will Flightline will run away with it, I think it'll be sort of stunning. Yeah. Where do you I mean then after that? Because I'm I'm a, I've been an Olympiad guy all year. I think second in that race matters in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Um, but if you told me you were voting for oh man, a bunch of horses here, life is good, Jackie's Warrior. Um, yeah, well, is there someone else in this group that you really like? Uh, yeah, I liked Cody's wish, but I, Cody's but wish, I yes. yeah, I, I went, I, I, I looked at Olympiad. I thought, yeah, that, that winning streak at the beginning of the year was underrated. And I said so, but it was the beginning of the year and the Whitney performance and, and coming up, you know, uh, running on empty as it were, uh, and losing big in a, in a race where life is good, really you know, you wonder about life is good even getting past a mile and still won yep. that race. Yep, but the lose to Happy Saber and Hot Rod Charlie was like, <laughs> all right, come on. Okay. All right, comes back, wins the Jockey Club Gold Cup in a, against a field that I would not consider flash. And then in the in the Breeders' Cup Classic, okay, so he, he begins the, uh, you know, he gets to start the receiving line for flight line. <laughs> uh, I, I look at the the body of work and I look at the, the races he had early in the year were not that were not that as competitive to me as they were for the handful for life is good. Now I should tell you, I haven't turned in my ballot yet. So you're going to have me looking at this again, <laughs> but to me, life is good was the goods. And I just think yeah. here's the thing I look at with life is good. I think in the, in, in North America, he would have been undefeated if Todd Pletcher and, and Gary and Mary West. And I, I put them both or all three of them, in lockstep here to me it was a very sporting gesture to put him into the classic when he might have given cody's wish all he could have wanted a dirt mile absolutely 
and and might have won that race. And then now we're saying, okay, well, there's your easy second choice for this mm. honor. And I think that was a very sporting gesture. And you can say and go, well, no, it was how sporting was it? What second prize in a six million dollar race, right? Okay, and and you're looking at a horse uh, that came out of there, you know, uh, with three almost three and a half million dollars this year. So okay, there's that. But I, I, to me, I think life is good was the goods all year, and I'm not going to grade him down for his performance in the Breeders' Cup Classic because he was really out of his element in that race. And, uh, you know, he shouldn't be going a mile and a quarter. I think the Dubai World Cup showed us that. So, but good for them. Good for them to give it a shot and make the race that much more interesting by putting him into it. So I'm going to reward him on the, I'm going to draw a line through the Breeders' Cup Classic with him and give him the number two nod. And I'm going to make Cody's wish three. I mean, that four race winning streak with a couple grade ones at the end. And, and by the way, no slouch. I mean, you win the four go and beat Jackie's warrior. Hello. Yep. You know, that's, I agree. that's a big, that's a big spot. And, and if you want to say story means something here. Yeah. I think there is that intangible story does mean something. It's the same thing as when we voted for Zenyatta to be horse of the year when I think it was to a certain degree, a lifetime achievement award. Uh, so there's, you know, I, and, and not undeserving. I'm just saying that, that that was worth some points as well in consideration as well. So I think story means something. And so that's why, uh, but you're going to have me looking at Olympiad again, Louis. You're going to have me looking again. I have not turned in the ballot yet. Yeah. You know, and, and you talked about something in, in the last group that we talked about with the three-year-old Phillies with that recency of how much we care about the races at the end of the year. Somebody's got to win those races at the beginning of the year too. And, and Olympia yeah, but they're not bigger races, but they're not I bigger races. I, I get you know? it. It's like a week, week five between five the Packers and the Jaguars ain't, you know, it ain't the same as the NFC championship. Uh, you know, not that I get it, but guys. the same in the same vein though, they're making the foster a grade one because a horse like Olympia had won it. Right. I mean, they're yeah, flipping those um, between that yeah, and the Clark because I the quality would, of the field is usually better well, in the foster area. And it wasn't this year. I get it. But, I, I mean, he still I, won the race. So I will not die on the hill being built by the American <laughs> Race. <laughs> oh, man. Do, do you know the plans for Elite Power by chance? Because I think that's a horse as a five-year-old could be an absolute monster. Right, just I, an absolute I monster. do not. I, I, you know, I am due for a conversation with Mr. Mott. I will see him at the Pegasus, no doubt. Okay. But, um, uh, and I don't, uh, well, I'm sure that's a Judd Mont decision. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Judd Mont. Then I'm I'm due for conversation with them too. I'm certainly in good terms with them. So why not? Yeah. (laughs) So yeah. Older dirt female, usually my favorite category, no different this year. Uh, on this show, we tell people to fall in love with the Phillies because they race longer, uh, than the males generally do, especially at the top of the sport. Um, I'm, I'm putting Malathat firmly in the first spot me too and me too. it's because of a nose in the last race blue stripe was my launch of the, of the weekend and she almost damn did it she's i, I love blue stripe um and clary are almost if clary, clary are, is that i race, know this conversation is completely different yeah where do you put goodnight oliver i put her second okay yeah i did too I'm undefeated in a given year means something to me and when yep. two of them are grade ones uh yeah Great. i get that uh you know the ballerina uh, but um, obligatories in that race, and I mean, she's listed on here, yeah, and I mean, no, okay. it, it's uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, 
but uh, you know, Breeders' yeah, Cup yeah. winner and four for four and and all yep. those things and and there's a Chad. By the way, Chad on dirt. Chad. I mean, I think Why not? <laughs> I think there's going to be a fair amount of of support from Malafat. I don't think we are alone by any means. Three Grade One wins uh, in in good fields. Uh, a narrow, two narrow losses to Clarier in that rivalry, and then when they get to the big matchup that Malafat does win by what is uh, the equivalent of a head against Clarier, and so, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think we will not be alone there, but I also think that uh, Good Night Olive uh, for Chad, I think that that says a lot that you know, anytime he develops a good dirt horse, and I get that we're talking about a sprinter here. And there's always that asterisk that you put on when you're saying, okay, well, otherwise it is an open category among females. You say, well, yeah, it's a sprinter. Well, I, I don't downgrade, you know, yeah, it's a sprinter. Yeah, it's a turf horse. Yeah, it's a one turn. This I don't do that. I look at the accomplishments on the track and try and, and you know, if all things are equal, then you start to sort that out and look for versatility. But yeah, I love Goodnight Olive. I love Goodnight Olive. Goodnight Olive cost me some money. <laughs> uh, in the uh, in the ballerina, so maybe that's there's that, and then I'm voting Clarier third. Um, <laughs> I uh, that that one, it was a bit of a tough call. I looked at Pauline's Pearl. Um, I did look at obligatory a little bit. Uh, so, but I, I voted Clarier third. I just think she shows she shows up for the fights, and uh, you know, finished in the money all but one time, and that was in the personal ensign. Where remember she was like, you know. She looked like she was not only going to throw her rider at the gate, she looks like she was going to eat the gate. Yeah. I mean, poor Joel Rosario that day. But that was crazy. That was the ultimate draw a line through it. She would have trampled the line through it. Uh, it was just she was just nuts that day. But uh, throw that out and, and Claria was every bit a warrior, as she always has been for Steve Asmus. Uh does modern games get a look from you for male turf candidates? Uh, it's uh, funny you should mention that because <laughs> I saw somebody, I saw somebody write that, well, modern games doesn't need to get the three-year-old mail award because there's another one for him. Not only does he get a look, he gets my first place vote oh. for all the reasons I stated earlier. Yep. I mean, I built such a case and part of that is, I will, I will admit that part of it is I don't see any big time standouts here in the U S count again, gets my second place vote. Uh, for Phil D'Amato's barn. And a big part of that was the fact that, you know, California horses, you, you go, eh. But he shipped to Keeneland and finished sixth in the Maker's Mark Mile. And you go, well, that's why you're not voting for him to be number one. I go, no, he finished sixth, losing by only a length and three quarters in a terrific. We go back to it was a blanket so finish we, of all blanket finishes. Yes, right. We yes. Go, you remember when we were talking about the best stories of 2022? And I said, well, other ones will come up and, re and I will be reminded of them. Yeah, the Maker's Mark Mile is one of those stories where Cheryl Spite, amazing, smooth. Like, I mean, I just, it was such a great, great race. And, and Count Again was right there and then comes back and wins the Shoemaker Mile. Uh, you know, look, I, and the other problem here, though, of course, it's like, okay, I'm going to contradict myself. Where was, where was this horse? in the second half of the year. Well, okay. I get it. I get it. But I just don't know, you know, Gufo? No. I mean, you know, one, one, uh, you know, just two races all year. Do you look at Annapolis? 
three for six, won the turf mile, but God, just threw a fizzer in the uh, Breeders' Cup mile. I'm, you know, I could be talked into Annapolis for an, an additional vote. Casa Creed, I looked at on the basis of of wins in the Jiper and the four star Dave. Maybe I go back there for a third place or for a second place horse. My third place horse is Rebels Romance turf. on the basis of the Breeders' Cup turf win and, and winning three group or grade one races in a row. Yeah, I get the two of them are in Germany, and that's like saying, okay, well, you won a grade one in California. <laughs> but um, backed it up in the in the class. Or yeah, me, backed the it turf, up. Yeah. I mean, backed in it the up turf, in the turf yeah. big yep. time. And yep. uh, and so, and by the way, I, I cashed on that race. So that was about the only thing I cashed on that day. In the uh, you know, <laughs> I did I didn't bet the classic because I didn't think there was any money to be made there. But uh, maybe I should have gone the double, right? So uh, that was that was the uh, so Rebels Romance got got to vote for third but I, I that's a work in progress i could be talked into i could maybe be talked into annapolis i could uh and, and so and, is a golden pal interesting to you or is that that breeders cup performance no was i, so I ugly? think the breeders cup performance was so ugly i thought well a couple things okay so he goes in with a pile of hype into wesley's annual trip to ascot and then you know, there's there's Erod in the gate, and he's blowing bubbles while everybody else is running, and and he winds up, uh, you know, finishing 16th. And then, uh, okay, comes back two nice wins, and then just looked out of looked out of place as a six to five favorite in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. Completely looked out out of his element, and I'm like. If this were a lifetime achievement award, I would absolutely vote for Golden Pal, but it's not, and so I didn't. And in all the categories where I saw him, that Breeders' Cup uh, turf sprint effort, or lack thereof, on his home track, did nothing for me. Did nothing, you know. Maybe because it was so windy that day. I don't, <laughs> you know. Going through these, Ron, just made me sad about American turf racing. <laughs> it's just not it's good uh, it just it's it good. made me sad it just i mean it's like i, <laughs> I mean, hate to say well, that out loud, but I, let me let me ask uh, you this sure how much of this revolves around the fact that chad brown is so dominant and our and our other owners and horsemen scared off by him it, it, there are in the same way that people complain about the dirt graded stakes in California having four or five Baffords in them. I mean, every turf race east of the Mississippi is like that with Chad Brown. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I'm with you. Yeah. Or remember the days in Northern California where people, you know, you see Hollendorfer Bay. (laughs) Yeah. And it just, it didn't end. So I, I don't, I don't want to squelch the success of connections like that. I think, I mean, hats off to Chad for what he has accomplished on the track in turf races. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, well, we need to rewrite the rules because we're going to penalize somebody for their assets. I hate that. Mm-hmm. How many times in a job have you been penalized for your assets? Well, you did so good, we're going to have to not pay you for your next vacation or something. You know, one of those deals. I can't promote you. you do, you're too good at your job. Yeah, something exactly. Like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you get that with Chad. You get that with Bob. You get that with, you got that with, the Hollendorfer Bay's connection. And, and it's so, uh, you start to, you see it in Europe with, uh, Godolphin and with Coolmore. And so what do you do? I mean, what are we going to do? You're going to, you're going to discourage people from winning races. No, keep encouraging them, but keep it in context. And I think that's, that's part of the challenge. Here. 
on the female side on mm-hmm. the turf. This is a little bit more interesting of a group, I think. Yeah, this may be this may be the second most contentious division that I have. I'm with you because you got a Regal Glory, you've got a Bleecker Street. Who I mean, if you didn't, if you didn't totally follow Bleecker Street, you'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> that horse went, did what this year? And then uh, I mean, Caravel for yeah, all I'm- of the the slander five for eight this year. I mean, it's not like she, <laughs> I mean, she, she did yeah. the damn thing this year. Uh, Delica, of course, won the, uh, the, the Beverly D over the, um, the mud course at Churchill Downs in August. Um, I, I've never, no, I would say that was more like, I would say that was more like pro rugs on a polished wood <laughs> floor. So bad. That race, man, I, I went on, uh, with Bobby V here on our local ESPN affiliate. He's like, Who's going to win the race? And I said, I, I don't know, but I'm going to bet the longest odds because it's it's not a turf course. Uh, but she does come back. She wins the Cardinal uh, over the new turf course in November here um, after running in the fall harvest out of Keeneland. I mean, there's just so many horses here uh, that did, you know, so many different things. Did, did I mention your favorites here? Warlike Goddess, of course, is another now one. Now you did. Now you did. Okay. <laughs> you just did. You finally got there. There we go. Yeah, I'm, I'm on Warlike Goddess. Um, you know, I think to me – her best race was her was the loss that had her farthest behind the leaders. And that was in the Breeders' Cup turf where she lost to males. Rebels Romance, who I've already said is in consideration for one of my awards. Stone Age also okay, finishes second, two males. And here she comes and finishes uh, a, a, a hard charging from 11th to 3rd in that race, making up three and a half lengths in eight places in the last half mile. And, uh, Oh my goodness, that, that was, that was pretty stirring to me. And so to me, warlike goddess, and then you back that up grade one win in the turf classic, uh, at uh, Belmont at aqueduct or say it with me, as I like to say, Pack! um, and then <laughs> lost only a neck in the flower bowl and otherwise winning two grade one, a great graded stakes, the bewitch and the Glens falls before that at Keeneland and Saratoga. So, uh, yeah, winning on three different tracks, uh, or on on uh, one two yeah one two three that's three run. So uh, that's why I lean there. Regal Glory for me was next best with three Grade One wins, but again, uh, you know where was she for uh, the the Breeders' Cup? Uh, well, there she was, still still running that race, uh, you know, finishing tenth. But again, you know, a lady in the mile. So I, I put her second, uh, and again, that, you know, I, I actually am looking at my little note here, and it looks like I had a one there and changed it to a two when I decided a warlike goddess was going to be the way I'd go. And again, I haven't turned in my ballot yet. So this is, this sure. is, a, this is such a tough division. I went in Italian third, okay, yeah. largely on the Why basis not? of her close second to Tuesday, the invader from across the pond in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare turf but had won the Diana and the first lady before that beat technical analysis in the Diana. Don't you know, uh, by a length and a half. And I, I really came to love in Italian as the, as the year went on. Uh, I was at the first lady at Keeneland that day. Uh, and, and the interesting thing about that race too, let's not forget this. So she goes from Saratoga, gets some time off, and then comes to Keeneland. And her first race back, she's carrying six more pounds than she had carried in her last race and four more than she had ever carried in her career. And that's not for nothing. And she still won by one and a half, or by one. 
and then comes back, finishes second in the Breeders' Cup Philly Ameritair. So as far as a third place is somebody to put on there, to me, I she had to be there. I w- it was a question of whether she was second or third. And now for me, it's like between Regal Glory and Warlike God is between first and second. So this is this may be because I did so much analysis on three-year-old male. This may be tougher mm-hmm. for me because I may be needing to do more of that same work on this division right. and diving into strength of schedule for female turf. Yeah. It was a, it was a it was a really fun year with the, Who do you with have? the Philly. I, I have Warlike Goddess. I do. I, I hate okay. to agree with you just for for show I purposes, know. but but I do. I I do think even though many of the races were just against three year olds, I think Spenderella had a really good year, and I think she'll probably end up in my top three because I'm not going to penalize her for being a three a three year old if that makes sense. Um, That's an interesting point, and. I would penalize her more for having her only grade one win being in California, sure, but she did. Sure. She, but she lost to Inspiral in the coronation over at Ask. Losing to Inspiral is not, there's no shame in that. Believe me, there is no <laughs> shame in that. No. Uh, she just, you know, I mean, she was out front in that race and uh, she was, as I remember the race, I'm trying to visualize it in my mind's eye. Uh, it was a straight mile so right there that's a little different for her yes and so it's like okay well when's the turn when's the turn when's the turn and and who's and who's this guy on my back who i don't know and still uh there she was you know moving along moving along was right there at the pace but at the end in those races and those straight races if you don't have that straight experience it's difficult to finish and she still wound up second and see again as we have this conversation, maybe I need to go back and look again. <laughs> and if there's a division to be reviewing, this is the one. It's All right. So the people, and you yeah, said you really, you, you haven't, you haven't really done a full dive into the people. Yeah. I, on uh, one I, division I have. Which one is that? Uh, but I think the one you're going to mention first. Oh, so trainers. We, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Have, I think we have the same cliffs notes. <laughs> apparently yeah um i just know it's it's very interesting to me because i appreciate that they break so if people don't know we get a we get a um a, a paper guide from the, the daily racing forum and, and they do a very nice job of putting the the groups together and different things and so trainers are ranked first by earnings mm-hmm. then by wins which is very interesting, mm-hmm. then grade one wins and then by graded wins in general and yeah at the top of Three and by the way, lists. and have you got your updated version? Because you know we that these were right. mailed to us a month ago. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Yeah, I have the one online too. I'm holding the paper one right now, just for yeah, ease, of, one right there. ease of use um, <laughs> in, during the podcast. Um, <laughs> Chad Brown's at the top of three of those lists, right? And um, a lot of it is that he he runs a lot of horses, but frankly, the guy right behind him for earnings is a man named Todd Pletcher, and right behind him for Grade One yep. wins is Todd Pletcher, and Todd had. You know, 75 more horses this year uh, starts. And and so just by percentage, it, it's a reminder that Chad Brown in these races, you know, wins at an incredible clip. Now, part of it is what we talked about. You know, if there's an eight-horse field for a grade one turf race, he's got three of the horses. Now, that his winning percentage is so high and two of his horses lose the race is <laughs> yeah. also something I think about a lot. Um, what to you um, stood out in, in the numbers there and, and you – you know, because I also appreciate that they ranked it by wins. Because you mentioned, you know, Hollendorfer up at um, 
up at Golden Gate in, in the Bay Area yeah, for all those years. Yep. Yeah, I mean, like Johnny Wong had a hell of a year out in uh, California, Southern California. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's you know that's two hundred nine wins in a thousand fifty one starts, and he, and you can see why he, we just had him on the podcast to talk about his move out of Kentucky. You can see why he's moving because a thousand starts, two hundred wins, and he's making a sixth of the money of a guy like Todd Fletcher. So. Um, and I can't imagine yeah. it's a sixth as in, inexpensive to live in Northern California. So. Yeah, but I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not giving Perry Utes the, uh, the jockey eclipse. I'm not giving, uh, sure. I'm not giving Beverly Park the uh, horse of the year just based on, you know, starts yep. and wins and things like that. Yep. Here's the reason I'm voting for Pletcher number one. Okay. Forte, Nest, Malafat. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And to me, that's the separation. That's the separation factor there. Uh, you know, Chad, too, and I'll give you the, this is the curveball I'm going to throw you at three, and that's Charlie Appleby. Because for the second, and there's a little bit of lifetime achievement in here. I get it. I voted, I think I voted for him third last year. Somebody will have to check. It's transparent. It's available online. You can find it. You can tell me I'm wrong about my own votes. I don't remember last year beyond the Yeah, the fourth most grade one wins in North America this year with eight starters. With eight starters. <laughs> The guy can pick his spots. Aiden O'Brien. Oh, oh, what about Aiden O'Brien? Well, Aiden O'Brien will sit there and go, well, Aiden O'Brien will just basically empty the vat and throw them here. And, you know, and the lads thought that was a good spot for this horse. And they thought that this would be a good one. really like to go to <laughs> By the way, I, I had a great moment in my career this year. So I've been dealing with Aiden O'Brien for almost 20 years. <laughs> dealing with that. So I'm talking to He got to Keeneland early. Normally, he doesn't show up at the Breeders' Cup until like the day before. He got in like on that Tuesday. And so I come over there and I'm talking to him. And at one point he goes, yeah, nah, da, 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 Ron. And I almost, you know, dropped my cookies. He called me Ron. And I looked down at my credential immediately to see if he was reading off my credential. Because <laughs> the other time I was blown away by that was Rebecca Romaine did that to me at a Super Bowl. She <sighs> called me Ron. And I'm like, oh. And I looked down and she, oh, she just read it off my credential. This yeah, who, cares how, down, who cares how like, Rebecca read that one? Yeah, that's good. Right. It's just good that now, she read this, it. Yeah. <laughs> in this case, that was 24 years ago, 25 years ago. In this case, I looked down at my credential. It spun around. He knew. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I, I kind of made it. So, you know, uh, in the self serving, narcissistic, egomaniacal world of Ron Flatter, that was a big moment. But Aiden O'Brien brings a lot of horses over here, and a lot of them don't win. A lot of them do, and a lot of them don't. He, his strike rate is not as high as something. Charlie Appleby, to me, the skill in picking his spots, yep. there's there's something about that. There's It's sublime, and I love it. And so I'm voting him number three. And so, you know, Mr. Mott, Mr. Asmussen, Mr. Cox, Mr. Baffert for three-quarters of a year. By the way, not for nothing. Bob Baffert only, you know, trained for three quarters of a year i get you know because some of the horses the one for him won another horse uh, trainer's name yep. but and so there's that but now i'm voting charlie appleby three and i'm pretty set on that order todd chad charlie who would be fourth who would be for my i would go my i i okay. uh you know i mean you had yeah. his horses win in streaks you know, Olympiad, I mean, he, his horses win in streaks. And I, I appreciate that. He, 
when if you're betting on mock horses and it's like being at a blackjack table and you get on a roll and then when you figure out okay when am i going to double my stake and you do it when you're hot and then you back off when you're not and i don't know what kind of optics there are to that in terms of analytics whether that's good or bad but i do that and if i see a hot trainer with a hot horse i back it Mott does that. Mott gets his horses, and they get to be hot at key times of the year. So I would, I would, I would put him at number, at number four. You know, a third among North American trainers in this category, and and with far fewer starters than many people. I mean, frankly, yeah. Um, yeah. So this this Vicente del Cid kid, second mm-hmm. most wins in North America. He's he's, a, he's an apprentice jock. Is that the easiest human category to figure out? Well, I don't vote in apprentice jocks, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. And this has got to be a okay. big thing. Uh, oh, I've seen it on Twitter. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago. And I was in, we were all in COVID lockdown. We had nothing better to do than snipe at each other. <laughs> and Scott Hazleton, who I, I know I am, with whom I am friendly, and Michelle Yu, who I know, but I, you know, I don't know her terribly well got after voters not me by name but the voters who abstain from the steeplechase right and the apprentice jockeys categories there is a good number of people who don't vote in either of those and i am one um i i was going to mention a name i don't want to mention his name without i'll tell you off air but there's another very prominent prominent member of our fraternity he does not vote in these for this, for this reason we don't follow them assiduously sure. and i don't want to cast on to that my expertise when it simply does not exist and the point of michelle was well then do your damn homework right and i was like well do you do your homework when you're voting for water commissioner or for the 73 judges that you got to vote for i mean if that's right. the case i think that's a more important vote than you know a bunch of trinkets for horse owners sure and she claimed well i do <laughs> we're gonna I'm stop just... the story i'm gonna stop the story there because <laughs> i'm gonna try to be i'm gonna try to take you but get me drunk sometime at, at some point and get ask over me to about, states and do the damn thing yeah, yeah by the up, way you can come over and ask me about pink kamehameha and taba but but anyway so <laughs> but uh uh so I get their point, but I raised this point at a subsequent meeting of the turf riders. I made a motion that I had no intention of voting for saying that anybody who votes in the Eclipse Awards either has to vote in all the categories or none of them. Mm. The motion died for lack of a second. Scott Mm. Hazleton was at that meeting where he was Mm. very, remember months after he was very vocal on Twitter or very visible about, you know, if you're going to, you know, you shouldn't be abstaining and these things on mass, he did not second that motion. Hmm. Michelle Yu was not there, which might be the ultimate abstention in and of itself. <laughs> Just laying it out there. Um, I abstain from that. I don't. I don't know what I'm talking about for apprentice jockeys. I just don't. I really don't. If there was, I mean, I, when when Jessica Pfeiffer won it, I thought, well, yeah, she seemed deserving. Um, she also had a very public coming out party too, right? About her career and who she was and how she got into racing. Like, I think we knew her oh, too. We've, we felt like we knew her, right? My friend, Mike Wilman did a very good job of promoting her. 
at Santa yeah. Anita. He's the PR guy at Santa Anita. Right. I'll give you this. If I were looking at any name on that list, the one that comes to mind for me is Kylie Jordan. Mm. Um, the number of women who are in the top 150 among wins this year among jockeys is very scant, and she's one of them. Yeah. So uh, just from a standpoint of women not getting chances in, in certain aspects of horse racing, such as, tra- uh, such as not training, there are trainers, uh, such as jockeys, uh, and you know, even to a certain degree, ownership. Uh, to a certain degree, I, you know, I'm I'm going to light a I'm going to light a powder keg here. Mentioning this, announcing mm-hmm. women don't get the chance. They don't. And I would say Kylie Jordan. If I were voting, I would certainly give her strong consideration for being number one, just on the basis of the fact that gender bias among jockeys is horrible, horrible. So. I offer that. Um, so By the way, I'll women let, in I, announcing also get no grace for figuring out the job either. Um, it's remarkable. So no, um, no. Yeah. Listen, I, I get the arguments. I you know, and I, I won't poke that bear any further than uh, you know. I got I got too many people I know, and this is the other thing. <laughs> Critic criticism of announcers is the third rail for racing media. I will leave it at that. <laughs> i did i did a piece in the uh in the newsletter back when we were still newslettering in the times and uh i said one of my three least favorite things in keeneland is that they have multiple finish lines and a, and a reader wrote wrote john and said you can't let him do that he has to tell us the other two <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was such a great criticism oh man oh that's fantastic it is fantastic that. <laughs> i know it's great Really By the is. way, was this the most uh, long-winded, diatribe, narcissistic, egomaniacal bunch of crap from me about a category on which I'm not even voting? You asked me a simple <laughs> question about Vicente Del Cid, and here I go off on <laughs> I mean, my God. Nick Clooney hosted a game show called The Money Maze that was not as yeah. winding as this was. Oh, God. <laughs> it had the word maze in it. Oh, man. <laughs> yes, right. Amazing. Oh, I was going to say... Um, I was at Saints last night, believe it or not. How about that? Um, oh, thanks for calling. Our, no, no. One of our producers is a, took a job in Atlanta, so he's uh, he's leaving. Yeah, our, our little radio like st- can... <laughs> our little radio Any station. Re- here. Listen, my boy Marty McGee is in Florida. <laughs> I know, and I oh, can't no, you hang with him. <laughs> well, I was going to say I only bring it up because I was listening. Uh, I wanted to hear the Pridman conversation you had, and so I went back and listened. And I got to give Jay credit, like. Bringing up Yummy Poyo is <laughs> next level knowledge of yes, hole in the wall right. joints in Louisville, man. I mean, that's that's high level oh, stuff. Great. This I mean, is, just you know. I'm serious. That's like I I, I already liked Jay Pridman. Like I, <laughs> I I he's bad at being retired. By the way, like what are you doing in a Breeders' Cup? You're bad at being retired. Stop it. Um, well, but he, well, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know. I know. But um, he the, was uh, getting he was collecting trophies. <laughs> 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 I um, it was and interesting was help, to hear him talk. Old though, friends. Let's, let's also be fair. He was helping old friends. That's fair enough. The um, well, and frankly, if I see him every year at British Cup, it's not going to break my heart either. So, oh, but the um, I, I'll roll, and, and, I'll, uh, I'll buy the first drink. Yeah, right. So, but the other part of that is, you know, he talked about instead of and, and I and I, <laughs> I even thought about this myself. I said because I say to people, one of the great things about horse racing is that the tracks are in all of the best cities in America. 
And so if you travel for the sport, you get to go to a bunch of great spots when their weather wow. is the best. That's a good point. Right? So, like, I imagine. Yeah, that's really know, a good point. Right? Like, New York in June, perfect. Right? Baltimore, mid-April, well, or well, mid-May, perfect. Say, well, yeah, New York in May would be better, but having lived there for 10 years. But yes, <laughs> okay. But early New June, York. whatever, right? It's still very nice, it right? Was, and then, New you York, know. Anytime is fine. Yes, I'm with you on that. Um, Miami in, in late January, perfect, right? I mean, all this stuff, right? So, like, mm-hmm. we do these things, you know, when is when you're out in L.A., it's in Santa Anita, early April, bang, done, perfect. Um, you go to fairgrounds um, in in mid-February for the Risen Star, something like that, and you get Mardi Gras, you get, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you get, you know, degree, you know, it's it's like in the sixties, but you know what? In Louisville, it's in the the, the twenties. So like it's oh, a perfect time favorite, to get down favorite, there. So. My favorite Super Bowl ever was in New Orleans. It was uh, yeah. the, the Harbaugh Bowl when the lights okay. went out. That oh, whole that's right. Oh my god! I'm in the best hotel I've ever been in, and the weather broke well. And it was you know when I wasn't at the pool, I you know I so yeah, and that was February. So yes, <laughs> you are absolutely right about New Orleans. And so it's just it's just one of those things, and then you know, and and I mean, when is there a bad time to be in San Diego? There isn't, and so it just it's one of those well, things well, about oh, horse no. racing. I will I will tell you one bad time oh. to be in San Diego. Yeah, either opening day at Del Mar, where oh, you know the crowd is ninety five percent not sober. I mean, some people would say that's good, <laughs> right? And the other time is was the San Diego handicap same weekend maybe Comic Cons going on, and I would I would you know <laughs> I want to beat people with their selfie sticks uh, during that time. <laughs> No. <laughs> no, no, drunk Comic Con might be all right. I'm not sure. Anyways, the um, you know, if, uh, if Hanny <laughs> Hofstetter was to show up, that would be a different story. You know, okay. Um, but I was, you know, and then I made the case that you know you travel for it, but but you're at the track 14 hours or whatever it is, you know, and so it's not the same as what That's Jay talked about, which is, look, man, I'm gonna go. You know, we want to get to South America and do this, and we want to, you know, blah 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 this time of year. And so I, I appreciated his candor about, yeah, I really love this thing. And it's been part of my life, essentially for him, his whole life, right? And so to, well, yeah. to, be, to be able to have the, the awareness to say, yeah. I, I need to step away. I need to spend time with my wife. I need to travel. I need to see these other things. And, and otherwise, I'd be eating at Yummy Pollo again. Like, I don't need to do that again. And it was just a, I just I, would I want not, people. Well, I wouldn't mind doing that, but I but uh, but no. But uh, I would I would I would suggest people go listen to your podcast for that episode if they oh, if they haven't heard it because no because I do think it was a fun back and forth <laughs> it was between it was between two guys who are clearly friends and that was a we become that we weren't always right and, but we have certainly become that and yeah. uh, you know that whole thing I was telling you way back if you remember back in your ancient history to about an hour ago when I was talking about how I couldn't get into turf riders as soon as I wanted to, Jay was part of the reason for that because he was carrying the torch for what he felt the, the, you know, the, 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 the ivory towers of the turf riders should represent. I don't mean that to sound as pejorative as I just didn't make it sound, but uh, he, he has a set of standards that I really respect and I've adopted in some ways. So, you know, he's, he, he and Barbara Livingston also from the forum, photographer extraordinaire have taught me some things about standards in not just this business but just in general that i carry with me. so yeah from that standpoint that was the foundation and when i got off of my high horse it was a really high horse uh stable roofs had to be readjusted when i got off that high horse i finally went, all right this guy yeah he's he he means really well right. and so but but you know they're 
I, I recommended to him in that podcast, you know, here are places you should go in Buenos Aires because I went down there for a vacation yeah. and to go to a track at San Ysidro. And, but, but the good news there was, I'll tell you, Louie, I got to leave whenever I damn well wanted because I had no assignment. Ah, <laughs> yes, so, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is something to that too, right? Where like, I was in, um, my wife had a, a conference in Fort Lauderdale and I just popped over to Gulfstream on like a random Thursday. Oh, yeah. I've done There's that. There's nothing like that. I've done that. Like I did that during you... Super Bowl week. I just rolled yeah. in, rolled out. And I've been to Tampa Bay Downs once. I did that oh. at Fairgrounds once. I did the yep. same thing. That's yeah. where I met Dallas Stewart, by the way. Uh, <laughs> first time I met Dallas Stewart was the week of that blackout Super Bowl, the Harbaugh Bowl. I went, I decided I'm going to go over the Fairgrounds and uh, wound up going there and I hung out. And, uh, that, was where I, that was where I met both Bruno DiGiulio and Dallas Stewart. You know, one a friend and one a friendly source, I guess, for a lack of a better word. And I don't mean like sources say source. I mean just a guy I go cover. You know, so yeah, that was a good trip. That was I have trip. to I have to say we've become the group in three twenty two and 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 a, a sincere uh, thank you to to Darren and Kevin, the guys in the in the office over there at the Derby, because we have the same table every year for Derby now for our show, which is I mean. It's, it's terrific in, in 322. But we're also the guys who are done working for the day at like one o'clock. <laughs> oh, all right. So you all these get, all these people. So here's here, hang on, hang on. They don't so mind. here's here's the balance. That's right. Number one, people generally don't balance because they know like we got there right at like there. we were there at eight in the morning and setting up and doing all the stuff. And we go on air and we do our thing and we, and we get done. And we're also the guys that bring 50 cigars or something right and so we're handed we're those guys and we're hanging out and, you know we're having fun and uh whatever else but like at the same time you can kind of see people looking at us like okay that's the cheat code right there like being done at one o'clock on derby day <laughs> that's it no deadline like good for that guy <laughs> oh yeah or it's like it's, right. it's Steve Bick. he's not doing anything yeah. else right yep. he gets to yep. hang out yeah uh, and, and, and by the way i well you know while we're at it he is our north star in the audio space in race he's way up there for sure oh, yep. God, way up there yeah I, I, yep. I would i would you know i i would hope to remember what he has forgotten because he has forgotten <laughs> more than i will ever know but he uh i'll give you i'll give you one on darren darren rogers kevin kirstein the two pr guys yes. yep. kevin wasn't there yet okay. darren and i go back to 07 with the derby i've done every derby except covid since 07 yeah so first or second year i was serving a sentence at fox news radio and so they would send me to cover the derby although i was coming anyway for the for my australian bosses because i still was mm -hmm. working for an australian radio station so that was my yep. first entree to the derby for a long time so once darren and darren was a listener may still be the fox news radio probably listens to um, uh to wacky here in louisville which carries oh yeah right fox yeah, yeah. News, right and Darren would tell me, I hear you doing the news because I always hear you and you always seem to be on when I'm shaving. Because <laughs> I anchored news. I anchored news for all those years that they sent me to cover the derby. Yeah. So Darren set me up at a table right outside the old press box, which is now yeah. Billionaire's Row or Trillionaire's Row. Yeah, yeah. Right outside his office, which overlooked about the 16th pole. And it was a plush place to be it was a perfect place to set up had power at all this you know wi -Fi, early days of wi-fi all that well i get there one of the day i need to set up and there's an npr station there 
It's used in my space. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and Darren, I go, Darren, what's going on here? And he goes, well, you know, uh, I, uh, I don't know. We're, we're, and I, Darren looks at them and goes, well, what are you guys doing here? And these guys say, well, we've been here every year since. And it was mm. in Darren's early days. He had just come from Lone Star. Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, do I take them at their word or kick them out? And I look at Darren and I said, hey, listen, I go, I looked at the, the team from the NPR station. I looked at Darren and I looked at my schedule. And I said, when are you guys going to be done? Mm. And they told me what time they were going to be done. And it was like, my first hit for Fox isn't until such and such a time. Just finish what you're doing. Get on your way. Relax. I can set up over here. I'll move over. And I think I made a few points that day because I was like, right. uh, let them do their thing. It's like you said, you're out at one. <laughs> you know? You're out at one on Derby Day. Well, last time I checked, the Derby's run pretty close to seven o'clock. So <laughs> six hours is an eternity. But you've illustrated, hopefully we have. Yes, there is a moral to the story, listener. Um, they are long, freaking days at the track. They're yes, long. they are. And yep. at my age, I need a nap in the middle of the day. And I will confess, <laughs> I've gone to the men's room in the media center, which is the simulcast center during yeah. non-racing days. I've gone to that men's room, which often is either flooded or, you know, <laughs> God only knows. And I've taken a nap in one of the, uh, you know, the stalls. Oh, I'm taking a 10, 15 minute power nap. Uh, not my favorite <laughs> thing to do. But I will confess I have done that more than a few times in my uh, 15 trips to the Derby. So there you go. You guys, so I got that. I don't even know why I brought this up. You, you still haven't even gotten the jockeys, breeders, and owners. So, you know, and horse yeah. of the year. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> maybe in February or something. I, um, yeah. No, because the, the stories, these stories, people love these stories. We get we get a lot of nice messages about these these kinds of stories. No, they 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 do. I, no, you know. I, so this this you know this thing I went to Saints for last night. The guy who's leading his name is Jack, and he is a he's into college basketball like I'm into horse racing. And so he okay is is what, moving to Atlanta. What's that? What's wrong with the Cardinals? But anyway, anyway. Uh. <laughs> so he he um he came to me last night. and He goes, Hey, I I would really appreciate it if I could talk to you about how to start a podcast and the best way to do that. Oh. And I thought, and I thought, good, good guy is good guy to ask. What a freaking compliment that is. But also like, no, yeah, of course, no, that's not. Sure. No, but we did it three years ago, whatever. Right. And so I, and I, and I said to him, I said, before anything starts, here's the, here's rule number one, two, three, and four. You, you gotta be yourself. Yep. Bet on yourself. Be I've, I've said that too. Yeah. Because in long form, anything, Sarah L. Bodwe just just left us. She's going on to, and she's still working out what she's going to do, but she has some opportunities and she's going to choose from them. And my advice to her was bet on yourself. Yes, correct. Right. Do what you want to do. Figure it out. Figure it out. If you're going to sit there and muddle like I did for like the first 40 years of my career and go to the least, go to the path of least resistance, well, then you get pushed around. You get pushed around. Go bet on yourself. And you know, I, I think I think our podcast, and I'll toot our own horn for a second, is a good example of that because who would have thought three years ago that a podcast called the Horse Racing Happy Hour would have two guys with Eclipse folks? Oh, I can and, name a name, but you would don't want me to name it here. <laughs> really? Oh, <laughs> and so um, I'm kidding. I'll text but it I, to you. <laughs> <laughs> but I I think it's a it's a it's a like you said it's a testament to us. We show up every week. 
We do the work every yes. week. And, and if you are willing to be yourself and make that connection with your audience that, hey, here's who I am. Here's what I enjoy. Here's what we're going to talk about. And we do it in the way that Mike and I only know how to do, which is for us, like I said, we still do the show. Mm-hmm. where <laughs> okay that's a good day bro. <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> that even in even in that that new space and you know, we talked about it early on about getting that ncwab vote and membership frankly yeah. I, I consider it the membership more than anything man it was jenny reese who wrote for the career journal forever it was tim wilkin who stuck their necks out for us who you know yeah. and, and john sherva from the times and all that i mean like mm-hmm. those are those are well, Those don't mention me. Who, I would have stuck my neck out, except we had I had two other. I know you're busy. No, you're busy. I know. No, 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 no. And, oh, and, don't give no, me the but, busy thing. No, I, I'm just saying I had two other candidates in my quiver, and Ron, I just didn't feel Ron, like I. My had point is, cap. we didn't we didn't think about applying until you were like, dude, what are you doing? Oh, right. Time to get applying. Well, thing. New media comes back to your thing about the and, and and Jenny Reese was like Jenny yeah. Reese's line to me was something like, "What what is this? The 1700s? Of course, we should have podcasters in here." Well, she and gets I, it. She does get it, and Tim does too. It's cool, actually. And I and so that's a. It was just. It was a. Oh man, what what Mike has said to me too, which I really appreciate because I think he's being genuine about it. Because I know I feel the same way. Is what we don't want to happen is that turf writing goes away. True, and, and this is a and this is an opportunity to feature those people who do good work in those spaces. And they can come on our show, and people who listen to us can, can dis- discover yeah. those people. Yeah. Your piece on Horse Racing Nation about about three year old male. Everyone should read it that likes horse racing. Everyone, it's excellent, and you can't do that work on this podcast because you need to be able to see the charts that are on. It. Oh, it's the same. Uh, that, there's that. There's the thing I did last week on Perry Oots. I didn't mention his name by accident earlier. I spent a half hour with him at Turfway on a very rainy night uh, last uh, well, almost two weeks ago now. And uh, oh, what a delight! And here's the guy who is just so jaded in the sense that, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just that, you know, you, you when you've seen it all, you get jaded. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's seen it all. He's 68 and he's still riding, and he's heard every damn interview. Who's going to come along? And go, yeah, okay, you're going to do a feature on the old guy. And I got the, the nicest text I got here recently was a compliment from him about the piece I wrote. It was like about a almost you know three thousand some odd word piece on his story his his journey and i went into it i said i said perry i i think i know the first question i'm going to ask you i never know the second Mm. something that you know you're too young to remember jack parr but i suspect given the demographic of racing that there will be a number of your listeners you among the listeners may remember jack parr and Jack Parr had the great line when he hosted the Tonight Show before Johnny Carson. Jack Parr's best advice to Dick Cavett when he was competing against Johnny Carson was don't go out and do interviews, have a conversation. Mm. Have a conversation. Louis, you figure that out. Louis, Louis, this could be the beginning. Louis, you figure that out. <laughs> you figure that out. People who know in this space, Steve Bick. I mentioned Steve Bick, who I, I, I uh, fondly, you know, he's like the Joe Franklin. Of, but he's a conversationist. Uh, You're totally right. Yeah. Like Joe is. Franklin yes. was a conversationalist. And Joe Franklin yep. lasted how many years in the entertainment space? 50, yep. 60 years. He's a conversationalist. And that's what it comes back to. The people who are coming along and doing interviews are just, you know, it's like we have 
at our at our place, I say, listen, if you don't want to put your name on it, if it's not something you felt like you did more than just somebody else was going to do, just say it was by HRN staff. But if you'll feel like you were proud of it, write your name on it. Mm. Write your name on it. Mm. Um, same thing. Put your name on it. And, and it's like you said, do be yourself. Be yourself. And that producer who's headed to Atlanta, by the way, you may remember 10 minutes ago when Louie asked this question, I, uh, it was about a producer going to Atlanta who was at a party at Saints that I was not invited to. Right. Uh, All that is correct. You know, be yourself. That is yeah. best advice. It's, the, uh, it's advice it's I heard even close. years ago, and it's, it's not even close. advice that works today. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I learned that being a high school teacher. I taught high school for three years. Did you really? I did. I was a teacher for a long time. I was a college professor, and then when we moved here... What um, subject? I, Okay, so I did my graduate work in linguistics, and so uh, I've I have taught linguistics and French at the college level. I also taught classes on um, Louis, what? you and I at the Arc. I got to oh, get that at the Arc. Oh, I missed the last three. I got to get that at the Arc. I, I actually got a place for us to stay and everything. Anyways, the um, and then at the high school level, I taught Spanish, and so um, it was, but it was in high school teaching high school that I learned. That the kids would the kids would work hard if they felt like they were getting an authentic version of you in front of them, and Ooh, and I don't and I good. think that translate and it was and, and I learned it from other teachers actually. So I remember so there was a guy. They're, so their bullshit meter. Pe- oh, I'm sorry, uh, their BS meter pegs. No, that's exactly right. And so like I would listen to kids talk about other teachers who I knew were either older and unattractive or not interesting people. But they were themselves, and they were themselves with the kids, and the and, and the kids could sniff that out. And I remember thinking, "That's it. That's wow. that's it. That is it." And and I once we started doing long form stuff, I I I, I glommed onto that like I, you you would believe. I'll give a final example, and we'll, we'll wrap up the podcast. So I host a radio show in the mornings with Dan Issel, who you've had on your podcast, uh, Kentucky Great, Kentucky Colonel Great, uh, Denver Nugget Great, all those things. Former, Smith, former member of the Baltimore Claw. Baltimore <laughs> By the way, I asked him about that. He does not have any Baltimore Claws <laughs> here. Damn it. All right. I know. Well, he said they had just sold moved from Memphis. No, no. They worked out in Memphis Tam's gear when he was in Baltimore. Uh, which, which made <laughs> formerly owned by Charlie Finley, who owned the Oakland A's. Correct. It made me sad. Anyway, so um, we had Goose. Givens on. Do you know the name Goose Givens? Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Yeah. So Goose is the the most outstanding player for the 1978 Kentucky team. Great. And he is the ADA Yeah. And Goose was the first African American to score a thousand points at Kentucky. And we we have him on now because uh, he he replaced Mike Pratt this year as the color analyst for Kentucky basketball on the radio. And Goose is a kid from Lexington, grew up 10 minutes from the campus, and until his junior year of high school in the 70s, assumed he couldn't go to UK. Oh, and because, so because, because of his black. race. Yeah, because he's black. And, and then Joby Hall gets the job. Um, he, he, he integrates the team. And there's a moment his sophomore year at UK where there's five black players on the court at the same time. And he has this, oh, my gosh, this is, this is happening kind of thing in his head. And, and I so appreciate that he comes on our show and he talks about those moments. And one of the things he talked about was, and I'll never, I will never forget this. He said, I didn't know if I was going to be comfortable going to Kentucky, but when I was at Paul Dunbar High School in Lexington, we would play out in the sticks 
at little schools. And I would see old white people with Kentucky basketball sweatshirts on or whatever. All right. Right. And they were always kind to me. And he said, once I interacted with people who were in, who were fans of Kentucky and were kind to me as a visiting player, I knew that I would be okay. Okay. And it was that little story, stuff like that. We talked about Joe B. Hall integrating the team, being the coach, how he talked to players about race, how he talked about, he, he never talked about directly integrating the team, but he said, Hey, I don't care what you look like. If you don't work hard, you're not going to play. You know, that kind of stuff. Like, like the things in the seventies, right. you can imagine 50 years ago, right. That, yeah. that were just integrated. And I, and I remember having that inner with view with him. And I remember in my head thinking, I can't ask that question. I can't ask that question. And then going, but that's what I want to ask. Oh and yeah. Pe- people are listening because, because I asked the questions that I want to ask. Right. And, and, right. and then goose answered it and they, the answers were great. And, and so that it really cemented it for me. It was almost less than a month ago. It really cemented for me, you know, starting do teaching high schoolers. Do. That's exactly do right. People know when you're being genuine. People know when yeah. you're being genuine. It, it matters. And that matters. And so, yeah. But, you know, no, you know what also matters is you've established yourself already on that basis. Once you have, once you have done so, once you use the framework and the bulwark of, racing handicapping whatever to establish yourself then you can kind of you get a little more leeway to do what you want it's like the old thing when i first got to australia Mm. and i cracked a joke on the air and it laid an egg you can smell from here to australia okay yes i cracked the same joke three years later having had three years there as i've said a thousand nights i slept there i said once I, i cracked the same joke and they laughed like it was the biggest, the funniest thing they'd ever heard. And sometimes the laughs are built on that knowledge of who you are. But if you just keep building on who you are and not who you pretend to be, be who you are, not who you pretend to be, you'll be fine. It may take some time, but you'll be fine. His name is Ron Flatter. Ron Flatter on Twitter. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, Bronus Racing uh, for my uh, for my uh, uh, owner and uh, oh, uh, I like and, that uh, one. Well, yeah, because you know they had the horse of the year, and for jockeys, uh, I got to go. Uh, well, you know, don't you have to go? Erod number one, Flavian two, and Joel three, and uh, who else we got? Owners or uh, I'm, I'm flipping the top two on the jock side because I think if Flavian had Irad's mounts, he'd have a better year. No, I hear you, but he didn't. And um, <laughs> fair enough. And I go, uh, I go Godolphin, uh, Summer Wind, yeah. and yep. Stone Street for breeders because you got to give credit to, to Summer Wind for Flightline. And I think that's oh, and Horse of the Year, Flightline, Nest, Life is Good, one, two, three. Ooh. How's that for burying the lead? Ooh, you did bury the lead. His name's Rod Flatter at Rod Flatter on Twitter. Horse Racing Nation, like I said, I think the three-year-old male <laughs> article that Ron did is as good as anything he's done. And I also, I do think the interview with Jay Pritman is worth listening to because it, it is, I it, it felt like our show, actually, Ron, where there were just two guys sitting around wow. a bar talking about their travel and, and that kind of That's stuff. So I was, I was actually very jealous. <laughs> so good I'm job with Jay <laughs> Crap. Go find his stuff <laughs> there. And if you ever see Ron at Saints, buy him a beer. All right, Rob. Yeah, and then I'll tell you more about, you know, um, <laughs> and Taba. So. Oh, man. All right, Rob. I appreciate it very much. We should do this way more often, but it's probably better that we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we, keep our, we keep our gigs. 
<laughs> Keep it fresh. All right, sir. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Happy New right. Year to you. Likewise. And uh, everyone out there as well. Uh, of course, go check out Mike's interview with uh, EJ Clark, local legend here. Uh, the reason the show exists is EJ Clark invited Mike to start doing uh, derby coverage about a dozen years ago. And so without that, uh, obviously, we wouldn't be anywhere near what we're doing. And then I will have the only man who's ever been my editor. His name is John Sherva. He will be on tomorrow uh, as well for a year in review. Ron, I really appreciate it. And uh, Like you said, Happy New Year. We'll talk soon. Booyah.